0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, as we start today, uh, I want to ask the question, I wonder how you have been shaped by your family history. I wonder how you've been shaped by your family history. Uh, I've noticed uh, during Anzac Day, An- Ancestry.com had that thing where you could log on. There was like a 24-hour period, and you could find out about your family story and who you were related to, and then that day you'd sign up, and then they'd sting you later on because you probably had to put in your credit card details. Anyway, um, I wonder how you've been shaped by your family history. I wonder if there's uh, some, some legacies from that come through the family story that even have shaped who you are today. Um, you know, just to let you in a little bit onto the Glazebrook family history and the Glazebrook family legacy, uh, my dad and my granddad uh, passed on to my brother and I the legacy and the family story of chin-ups. <laughs> chin-ups. Um, I As a young boy, we used to move around a lot. I've, I'm a bit of a mongrel Victorian, lived in a lot of different houses. And every single rental that we would move into, uh, dad would always find a way to, to mount a chin-up bar somewhere so that he could do chin-ups. Uh, I remember there being one in a apple tree. Um, at one point, I remember there being uh, one that was over a door that was a bit awkwardly placed. Um, and I remember when, when my parents built a house, the first installation, you know, after we moved in, was two big wooden posts and a chin-up bar in the backyard. And it was, it was an exact copy of what my granddad had in his backyard. And, uh, and then uh, I remember Dad, you know, uh, bribing me to when I could do my first chin-up, because we're Glazebrooks, we do chin-ups. Um, you know, when I could do my first chin up, I get $20. And man, when you are, when you are 13 years old, $20 is like a million dollars. So I worked hard to get that $20. And I remember even when I got married to Esther, uh, my, uh, my, I think it was, was it Granddad? Granddad, uh, he, he, um, he threatened, I'm gonna say threatened. No, nah, he, uh, he, he gently reminded Esther that, uh, he may even have a chin up bar at the end of the aisle just to make sure that before she inherited the Glazebrook name, she could do a chin up. Um, true story, true story. And let me just tell you, uh, Esther's not only good at reading the Bible, but she's also good at doing chin-ups. Um, and now I have three girls and $20 in my pocket to, um, anyway. Um, the family history, the the, the the Glazeborough family story has been shaped by a legacy of, of chin-ups. Now, today we're in Ezra 4, and we're in this uh, little, it's, it's, it's a bit of an aside as we think through this story of the family of God. And there's this little recorded part of history that really shapes their family story. It shapes their family story and helping them understand who they are uh, and the the God who is their father and their care and their provider. And it even gives them a set expectations of who they're going, uh, what they can expect for their life as family members in his family. And it's a story that's also for us. Because if you're someone that has responded to the love of God shown to you in Jesus Christ, if you're someone that would say, yes, I'm a child of God because of finished work of Jesus, I've said sorry for my sin and he's adopted me in and I look forward to a glorious inheritance with him in eternal life. This story in Ezra 4 also sets us up for our story that we'll be living right here, right now, today. It may have happened a long time ago, but the principles hold true for us as we read it today. So this little aside in Ezra 4 that we're going to look at, it's going to set up two things that I want us to see. It's going to set up an expectation for our family story. It's going to give us expectation of a family story. And it's also going to give us and remind us of our energy for living in our family story, giving us an expectation of our family story and the energy for our family story. So let's dive in. I just want to uh, give us a little bit of context uh, for those of us that may not be familiar with Ezra up until this point. Uh, We're in the book of Ezra. It's one big one big book, Ezra and Nehemiah, and the series that we're in is called Rebuild. If you look on Instagram, if you've got one of those little sheets in your handout, Rebuild. And the reason why we've called it Rebuild is because there's two big things happening that are being built. There's one big thing that's being built, um, and that is the city of Jerusalem is being rebuilt. Uh, It is happening in around 500 BC uh, during the reign of a number of famous kings, the great King Cyrus, Artaxerxes, some big dogs in the history of the world. Um, And this is when God's people are rebuilding the city of Jerusalem after they have been released from exile in Babylon. And we are in the book of Ezra, which predominantly looks at the rebuilding of the temple, the temple that first got destroyed. So we're now looking at the rebuilding of this second temple um, what you, the temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. Um, you can go read about that on Wikipedia if you'd like. Uh, it's the temple that Jesus hung out in and he cleared and he did some fun stuff there as well. Um, Ezra is about rebuilding that second temple. And then Nehemiah is about, it's, it's a big broad view. And then Nehemiah sort of is happening almost concurrently, a little bit of overlap. And it's a more of a zoomed in view of then the walls of the city of Jerusalem around that temple, the fortification of that city. Now I mentioned Ezra and Nehemiah because this little aside that we have in Ezra four it gets a little bit confusing if you're trying to read this story chronologically. Uh, because actually, what we what we see here is that Ezra, rather than a, a, a nicely organised timeline, he more in, more in version of timeline he goes in he goes in themes. So if you're reading this from start to finish. Like, he mentions a couple of kings in this passage. There's Darius and then there's, uh, I think it's Ahasuerus. Ahas. I can't say it. <laughs> Ahasuerus. Ahas. If I can read it out, I'll be able to say it. Uh, all the way up to, uh, oh no, it's Artaxerxes. Ahasuerus comes later. Now, if you were here first week, uh, if you'd like to have one of those, I, I took the time to write up a timeline of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, which helpfully places some of the kings. And if you look at that, it'll help, help you understand the overall structure of the book the books. Um, But the reason why this gets a bit weird is towards the end, it's like it starts with Darius and then he talks about Artaxerxes. And then you're like, hold on a minute. Artaxerxes was like three kings after Darius, but now we're back to Darius. And how does this make sense? It's more helpful if we understand it in terms of the theme, a theme that Ezra is going after. And the theme that he's going after in this section is the expectation that God's people will have opposition. Opposition. This is a theme that was established right at the start of the Bible, that God's people were going to have opposition. The Bible starts with God making Adam and Eve. He created the world and everything in it. It was good, good, good. He creates man and women in his own image. And he says, that is very good. But then third chapter in, what happens? We have God's enemy come in, a devil, the devil, Satan, the snake, the deceiver. He represents darkness. He represents lying. He represents hatred. And he deceives Adam and Eve. And his primary job is to cause separation between God and his creation. He's the enemy. He hates God and he hates everything God has done. And I mean, he's, he's going down and he's thinking to bring as many people down with him. And straight away from, from Genesis 3, we see already that there is opposition for God's people. But even then, in that same chapter, we thought about this early on at the start of our series. God makes promises, doesn't he? Even though God's people do fall, And they do disobey and they do rebel and they do buy into the devil's lies. And that causes this separation. This causes this angst. And there's a curse across the world because of his deception and because of our falling into that deception. God makes promises that he's going to provide a way back into relationship with him. God makes that promise, doesn't he? And then the story of the Bible is him showing how he's always making good on that promise. He's always providing a way. Now, again, referencing the timeline, we see in Ezra and Nehemiah, we're in a significant stage for God's people where the second temple, the second temple is, hey, here's an opportunity for us to be back together with God. There's another moment of joining again. So why is that really important? Well, the temple, the the temple is, it harkens back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1 and 2. Man and woman in the garden with God, it's good. And the temple layout, it, it's, it's, it's based off the garden. You know, it's kind of like watching Avengers movies and there's little Easter eggs. You know, if you got to go in the temple, you're like, oh yeah, I see that. That's like Garden of Eden stuff. Cool, this is where we meet God. The temple was a place where people could come and they could have atonement for their sin. They could seek forgiveness from God. The temple was a place of sacrifice, acknowledgement of sin, saying sorry. It's also a place of expressing their faith. It's a place of fresh start. The temple was a place where people could make a pilgrimage to pray and praise God. The temple is a big deal. And the first temple flattened, ruined. And while that temple lay in ruins, so did their hope, didn't it? Think about being one of God's people in that time. Like the temple was the thing. This is how we get back to go off. It's gone. What do we do? But then Ezra and Nehemiah, it's this fresh injection of hope, fresh injection of seeing God's promises at work, seeing God lead the way, lead the charge. And now Ezra, they're starting to build the temple. And where did we leave, leave, leave off last week? We saw that the foundation got laid, didn't we? The temple got started. And then people already started partying. Like we know what this means temple's going to be built. Let's meet God again. Let's walk in his promises. Let's know his presence. Let's be reminded of his plans and let's have that peace and reconciliation and relationship that we were made for and that we long for. But then Ezra 4, Ezra goes after this theme of opposition. He goes after this theme of opposition. So I'm going to read for us the start of this chapter, verses 1 to 16, to set that up. Um, I'm going to try and apply the appropriate tone to this section because there's a slight it's, it's almost like Ezra has this side step to under, help us understand where we are in the timeline. I'll try and do that if I can. Let me read Ezra 4. Nope, oh, That's my cheat sheet for the entire series. Don't lose that. Ezra 4, hear the word of the Lord. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, hey, they're excited, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the fathers and houses and said to them, so these are the adversaries of God's people. This is what they say. Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to your God as you do. Ever since the days of Eshasharadon, King of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God. But we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land, okay, they didn't get their way. They discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build Ooh, and bribed counsellors against them to frustrate their purpose. They didn't want them to build the temple. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Slight pause, temple building and... Also this, in the reign of Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus. Oh sorry, I left my tongue at home. I just, just say it fast with confidence and people think you're saying it right. Also in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation, they, the opposition, an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So just to pause there at the end of verse six, we've skipped straight to Ahasuerus or just capital A king, that guy. Um, After we've talked about Cyrus and Darius, he's way down the line. It seems that Ezra is just picking up. He's just like, it's this, he's saying it to the start of verse six and in the reign of Ahasuerus in this theme of opposition. Also down there, because people are reading this back as history, right? They know, well, Ahasuerus wasn't after Darius. He's not before Darius. Oh, this is when the walls are being built. Okay, I get this. Okay, so we slide aside, but keeping in the theme of opposition to building. Verse seven. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam and Mithradath and Tabeel and the rest of the associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The letter was written in Aramaic and translated. Rehum, the commander of Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. Rehum, the commander, Shimshi, the scribe, and the rest of their associates, the judges and the governors, the officials, the Persians, the men of Erach, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is the Elamites, and the rest of the nations, whom the great and noble Osnapar deported and settled in the cities of Samaria and the rest of the province beyond the river. Okay, so there's a lot of people writing a letter, okay? We've got to formal complaint stage by everyone. To Artaxerxes king. All right, King Artaxerxes, to Artaxerxes, your servants, the men of the province beyond the river, send greeting. <laughs> and now be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. Uh-oh, they are, re- they are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls. Okay, so, oh, right, okay, we're in walls time now. Oh, okay, so I'm located, I'm, watch- I'm looking at the timeline. They are rebuilding the walls and repairing the foundations. Now, be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom or toll and the royal revenue will be impaired. You won't get your money. You won't get your money. Now, because... Because we eat the salt of the palace and it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. Look, we're for you, Mr. King. Like us, all of us, like we we love you, man. We love you. Like we're just gonna, (laughs) just listen to us suck up. Therefore, we send to inform you, kings. Dibba-dobba, (laughs) dibba-dobba. In order that search may be made in the book of the records of the fathers. You will find in the book of the records and learn that this city, it's a rebellious city. I've been looking at his Facebook page. I've scrolled back on Jerusalem, uh, Israel. Man, there's some photos back in their timeline that, that you, they do not want you to see. <laughs> and I do not want to lose that. Oh. I was away in Queensland with a staff retreat for three days this week which was, you know, it's great, you know, to go see all those guys, but it means I'm three days behind my sermon prep. So I need my notes. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Anyway, Facebook page. Yeah, there's some dirt and we've dug it up and you should probably go check them out because those guys, they're not cool. They're going to hurt you. Anyway, this is a rebellious city, hurtful to kings and promises. And that sedition was stirred up from old. This is why this city was laid to waste. We make known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls finished, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. Ezra records this Letter, This formal complaint and this opposition that God's people were facing as they were seeking to rebuild the temple, as they were seeking to reconstruct their one and only and primary hope in being back in relationship with God. Ezra records this history and he's recording it for them. Now we can see that this history, this opposition, it's taking many forms, can't we? As we, if you sort of break it down and work through this passage, it comes in many forms. There's first we saw that there's, there's people coming to to weasel in and sabotage from within, within aren't there? See that the start like, oh, we'll come join you in building the temple. And Zerubbabel, he's onto. He's just like, uh-uh, no, 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 you you are not on our team. Uh, we we do not want an alliance here. So no. And then when they didn't get their way, what was the next thing? Verse four, we saw that the opposition came in in the form of scare tactics and intimidation. They just made it hard for them. So they're they're oppressing, they're oppressing, they're oppressing. And then after that, this is time of Darius and Cyrus, there's Artaxerxes, okay? After the weaseling in, after the scare tactics, they go even more hardcore scare tactics, you know, formal complaint. They write a letter to the king. You know, it's getting serious. Like your neighbor can like, he can... You know, you can throw dirt and all that sort of stuff. But as soon as he writes to letter the council, you're like, oh, this is a headache now. You know, not that that's happened to us. Like we love our neighbours. There's the camera, I love you and my neighbours. Um, but this is what they do. They they gather, they gather all of the allies. Anyone that could, is anyone. Is just like, we got to get them on our team, get them to all sign a petition, you know, and we are going to oppose what God is doing and what these people are doing in getting back to God. And we see in verse 11, They spin a story to suit their truth. This rebellious and wicked city, you know, like rebellious and wicked. I think, you know, their truth is their truth there. Like whatever they want it to be. Like, yeah, this is rebellious and wicked. Let's just say the words. We don't have to justify it, but just plant that seed. What else are they doing in this opposition? They make false accusations about uh, God's people's intentions. They say they're not going to pay the royal revenue. Well, they don't know that. But, you know, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> you know, false accusations. We also see, what else did we see? Verse 14, the opposition came in terms of sweet-talking the king. It's just sweet-talking. And it's just like, well, you know, we're obviously the nice ones. We're the nice ones here. So, And they're not. <laughs> you know, a bit of sweet-talking. And then we see digging up the dirt from the past, digging up the dirt from, you know, stuff they'd probably forgotten, probably the stuff that they're not proud of. But they dig that up and then they make bold assertions to use fear, fear of the reader to manipulate, to get their way. I'm pretty sure there's there's not much else you could add to that list in the opposition that God's people were facing to building the temple, isn't there? It seems ridiculous. You know, if, if you're a king that's probably pretty switched on, you might read this and be like, oh, hold on a minute. There's a few strategies here. Maybe I'll go and investigate this. No, they buy into it. If you were to read verses 17 to 23, the king basically is like, yeah, yeah, these guys are, uh, they seem like a threat. So actually the building slows down and that opposition uh, remains. Now this opposition, this would have been a big deal for God's people, wouldn't it? Would have been a big deal. Like, think of what they're facing. I think of the initial excitement, release out of Babylon, everything's going well. Yes, I want, I've got a new life ahead of me, a new journey. I'm, I'm, I'm starting again. I've got my fresh start. Remember that from last week? Got my fresh start because of the love of God. But oh, now, man, it's hard. They've thrown the kitchen sink at me and all of the ways that I could have had to, to reconnect and to find this reunion of relationship with God. Like, how are they feeling right now? How are the people of Israel feeling? How are God's people feeling? You know, all jazzed up, all ready to go. And now, is God even real? You know, is God even good? Why would God release us from here if we're just going to have all this other opposition? We've we still, we, we still got problems. They're just different. Know, they're probably worse. At least we didn't have opposition back in Babylon. Probably thinking, oh, i spending my time in the right way. I mean, we've, we've got some of the foundation down, it looks like, but oh, is that all we're going to get to here? There's people, they've made burnt offerings, free will offerings. They're giving money to the rebuilding of the temple. You know, they're they're donating what they can. They have a vision. They have an obvious mission from God. And then, uh, so it's like at every turn, opposition, opposition, opposition. What's going on? Not only that, they now feel judged, don't they? All of the nations, all around them, everyone just, yeah, you guys suck. You're not with us feel outnumbered. They feel isolated. What's going on? So why does Ezra record this little bit of history, this theme of opposition in Ezra 4? Well, I think um, it's helpful to remember that uh, this is history, right? Ezra records history. He gets to writing this down after it's all been done. We thought about at the start that our family story and the, the the family that we're a part of and the story that we're in, it defines our future going forward, doesn't, doesn't it? Now, you know, we can speculate as to how the people might have felt right at the time at the moment of opposition, but what we get now is the record of actually, oh, hold on a minute, they faced that opposition, but somehow, some way, the temple did get rebuilt, didn't it? Like if you're, if you're reading the book of Ezra and Nehemiah as one of God's people right now, you're probably sitting in Jerusalem and you're like, oh, gee, they had a hard time building the temple. Gee, I'm glad that the temple got built. <laughs> like there's no, like the, that sense is gone. But, the, but it's just like, oh man, look at how hard it was. Wow, it got built. They persevered. There's something in my family legacy. There's something in my DNA that, well, I'm a, you know, I come from good stock, don't I? There's something there that Ezra is trying to clue on to his people to remind them of the, of the family that they're in. But even more than that, what does Ezra want to, want to remind them of? The God that they serve, the God that they serve. He reminds them that actually, well, <laughs> look at that temple. Like it was, it was pretty amazing, pretty amazing structure. Like jump on Wikipedia tonight, just type in the second temple, it'll come up, incredible. And despite all of that opposition, it got done. God made a way. He kept his promises. There was this moment, they, they had, they had the finish time. They had the finish. And we'll get to that in the story. Like there's a proper full-on party at the dedication of the temple. It's, it's gonna be a big, it's gonna be a big deal. Maybe we'll have a party too. I don't know. Now we got a new and better temple. We'll get to that. So why does, why does Ezra want to record this little bit of history? I think there's a few things he's doing. He, he, wants, to, he wants to preempt the questions for the people in, as they read their history so that when they get to the moment of asking the question, oh, is God even real? They read the history and they can look at the finished temple and they go, oh, yeah, absolutely. Is God even good? Well, I think the finished temple tells me a little bit something about that. I think God is very good. Did those people spend their time in a good way? Was there a better way of spending their time? Well, actually, I think they spent it in the right way. Look at the history that we're a part of. You know, when they might think, oh, gee, I feel judged. Actually, how judged would, have, how judged would my granddad would have felt when he was building the temple? He kept going. Wow. He wasn't judged by God, was he? He was loved by God. He was held up by God. Even when they were outnumbered. If God is for you, who can be against you? I think Ezra keeps this recording in Ezra 4 to highlight a few things. First and foremost, I think he wants to highlight that God will make sure, God will make sure, God will make sure that the relationship between him and his creation gets restored, even despite all forms of opposition. All forms of opposition. Now, I haven't said it yet, but I'll say it now. All of those forms of opposition, it's satanic. What's behind all of this scheming and planning and gathering, all of this is to continue the separation between God and His people. It's just a rebranding of the original plan, wasn't it? And God wants to make sure that we know and that we can see that the relationship between Him and His creation will always get restored no matter what type of opposition. How good is that? How good is that? Even something that the devil himself is trying to, you know, in the background, coerce and and plan. You know, I think too the other reason that Ezra wants to write this down for the people of the day and even for us today is he wants to remind God's people that opposition in a journey with God and for God it's a feature, it's not a bug of the Christian life. It's a feature, it's not a bug. You can expect this. He wrote it down. So you can read through the story of God's people and be like, oh, yeah, well, it seems like when you're ready to do something for God and to walk with Him, there's opposition. It's a feature. It's not a bug. And it's a small one, but I think it's significant. I think Ezra also seeks to reassure the people of God that the digging up the dirt of the past, it's not going to define... God's people's future. That's just a little one that I think um, is probably really significant for us today to think about, because I mean it, it's it's a, it's a really short little comment. You know, they dig up the past of you know the people of Israel. Like this is this is um, this is if you read through the Book of Kings, one and two Kings, one and two Chronicles, you get to you get to sort of see what. Uh, you just sort of see the, the legacy of God's people at certain times with the kings that they had. Do you think back to maybe in our, our Isaiah series, we looked at King Ahaz or even just our most recent series. What did we call that series? The King series. What did we call that? I didn't name it, so I've probably forgotten. It's on YouTube. It's on, it's on podcast somewhere. But we looked at some of the kings of Israel. How, how good were they? They sucked. They, they really sucked. Like... I'm gonna, I'm gonna offer my son on the altar to a made-up pagan god because I need it to rain. That's a, just, just saying. That's bad leadership. <laughs> you don't need, you don't like, you don't. That's not coming out in any books anytime soon. Don't sacrifice children. Oh, okay, sweet, awesome, great, tick. You know, good leadership. But there's dirt there. There's dirt there. Like there is, like there's stuff that in Israel's past they would have been so ashamed of, so ashamed of. But then Ezra is reminding them that actually by seeing, by being able to read the history and then look at the present, they can go, well, actually, you know what? My past, isn't, my past doesn't define my future. God is the one who defines my future. And you know what? If you're someone that's responded to Jesus, the story of the gospel is exactly the same. Remember the story of the gospel? I'll use what we thought about last week. You know, something's wrong. We can all feel that there's this weird tension in life. That's, that's, that's what sin does. Something's wrong. We're not connected with God the way that we should be. But then God shows his love, he exiles us, out, of, like he, he brings us out of exile, he rescues us, he restores us because he's loving. And then the next one is he gives us a fresh start. And he's just like, that sin back there, your terrible Facebook feed and all of the photos you don't want people to see, and all the, the stories of your past life, he says that, you know, there's a, ver- there's a verse in the book of Hebrews, it says, God says, I will remember your sins no more. Fresh start. It's not your past that defines you. It's your future with God that defines you. And that stands true even in the Christian life, even in the life of walking with Jesus. You'll stuff up again and again and again and again. And I know that because I've stuffed up again and again and again, even when I've called myself, you know, a follower of Jesus. But the beauty of, of, of God's love and His mercy and His forgiveness and His grace is He says just... If you confess your sin, as far as the east is from the west, that is how far I will remove your transgressions from you. I, think I forgive you. It says I want you to. I want you to reset the way that you're thinking. Don't you don't have to feel like you need to clean yourself up and get yourself right. I do that for you because I love you. Think of a, think of a father and their kids. Right, the little kid stuffs up. At what point does the father say to the kids, "You know what? I'm not gonna." You know, I'm just not, I'm not going to have you back until, look, you you do all these things. Until you tick all of these boxes. No, no parent is ever going to do that. Or I don't know. I shouldn't say, I shouldn't be so flippant with that. But God, as a loving heavenly father, will always take back his children. And they're like, Daddy, I'm stuffed up. I'm sorry. Ah, that's God's love for you. You're not defined by your past. And I think Ezra wants to remind Israel that and also... I think he wants to remind some of us of that today as well. Now, is that all we can mine from this ancient manuscript? Now, I did say that this passage is about the life of God's people and the story that they are in and the journey that they are on and the God that they serve. Now, if we today are going to be a people who, you know, it was just, fun fact, the temple, that second temple is now destroyed. It's gone. 70 AD got levelled. See you later. Too bad, so sad. Now, if, if we all of a sudden felt a calling upon ourselves to rebuild a new temple because we felt like we needed to have a connection again with God, would, would we expect the same opposition? Well, I'd say we don't have to do that. We don't have to go and build another temple to go and reconnect with God. The opposition today for the follower of Jesus isn't if you want to rebuild access to God, okay? Because the good news is, is that God has actually come down to us. The book of John says that Jesus came, Jesus uh, put on flesh and he dwelt with us. That word dwelt, tabernacled with us. He made his dwelling with us. And I think the, the slight switch that we need to think about today is our opposition now, as followers of Jesus, that the schemes of the devil now aren't going to be when we are trying to make a way back to God, uh, they are to build a temple, our opposition now, if, if we are going to be those people who trust in God and seek to live with him, with a new and better temple. The temple... In Ezra was access back into relationship and God showed he was was able to give, overcome all opposition to that. There's now a new and better temple, which is complete, which is finished and is our way to be reunited with God. It's the ultimate reunion that God himself initiates, that God himself completes. It's a reunion with us in Christ. And the opposition isn't to build up towards that. It's the opposition we'll feel as we seek to continue to walk in that. Jesus is the new and better temple that we don't have to build, the one that comes down to us. He says it plainly. John 2, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Today, if you want access to God, if today you feel like there's a a separation and a distance and something's not quite right and and you desire peace and love and forgiveness and reunion and relationship and reconciliation with your maker and creator, the one true God of this universe, the only way to that is not by you building a temple, it's by coming to the new and better temple, Jesus Christ who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. Jesus is now the access to the temple. No longer is the access to God. No longer is there the need for a physical temple where we need to have a pilgrimage to go to this place in order that we might worship. But in Jesus Christ, through His work and through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can worship in spirit and truth wherever we are. That's good news. That saves me money on flights to Jerusalem. (laughs) Means I can come to God at any time, any place, anywhere. God hears my prayer. He hears my prayer as well because no longer is there a need for a mere man, high priest, who can once a year go to God and pray to the people in the big physical building. But we now have Jesus, don't we? The new and better temple. He is alive and he is the great God, man, our great high priest who is always at the Father's side praying with and praying for his people. Isn't that good news? There's no no more striving and trying to remake this temple. It's there, it's done and we can access any time. And how good's this? You know what the temple also represented back for Ezra? Repeated sacrifice for sin. Bring your bull, bring your goat, burnt offering, wave offering, thank offering, free will offering. There's no longer any repeated sacrifice for our sin. But in Jesus, there is the new way with him. He was and is the once for all sacrifice for sin. That is done away with. The sacrifice has been made and we can go to God anywhere, anytime, pray to him, say thanks to him, confess to him, turn to him in forgiveness and thanks and live with him. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know Jesus in this way? Do you enjoy the forgiveness, the love, and the acceptance of God because of Jesus? Or maybe you're trying to still build a temple in your own life so that you feel good enough to come to God. It's not the teaching of the Bible. It's not where forgiveness is. Simply believe and receive. We cannot earn and deserve. That's Jesus' job. Jesus has done the earning. Jesus has done the deserving. He came to seek and save the lost, to be light in the darkness, to be your saviour. And he comes to trade places with you. He says, I did it. I walked the walk that you couldn't walk. I died the death that you could have, should have died. I've paid the price that you should have paid and couldn't pay. And here, let me take away, let me take from you your Facebook feed and photo timeline, one you're very ashamed of, and let me give you mine. I'll go die in the place of the sin and punishment and disobedience. I'll go die for you. I'll take that punishment. And you can inherit what was coming to me. Oh, why? I really, really love you. Really love you. Really, really love you. And don't worry. In three days, I come back. I rise to a new life and we'll do life together. I know there's a lot that we've got to work on, but it's now not alone. You're not alone. I'll give you the gift of my Holy Spirit. I'll always be with you. I'll be at the Father's side, interceding for you, praying for you, caring for you. You know, my Holy, my Holy Spirit, He's great. He'll remind you when you stuff up. Yep. He'll remind you. It'll also remind you that you can come back to me and say sorry. And He'll remind you that I'll, I'll forgive you. And He'll remind you that we can start again. He's also, he'll also do some really cool, tricky stuff. Like He'll change you from the inside out. Like He'll actually change your heart, you know. You know that saying? What's that saying? What the, what the heart desires, the will wants, and the mind justifies. Holy Spirit will work on the heart bit. And you might start to make better choices. If you've never responded to Jesus before and sought to be right with God, you can do that today. You can do that today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can come to God and be forgiven for your sin. Can start afresh and can have that new life. If that's you, keep leaning into Jesus. Keep talking to people about their experience with Jesus. And know that there's a new and better temple that that he is that you can come to. Now, as I close, I want to just talk about the energy for this new life. So we've set up the expectation of, the expectation of there will be opposition, won't there? There will be opposition. For Ezra's people, it would, the opposition was in building the temple up towards to be with God. The opposition for us today comes in the form of our ongoing walk with Christ to the end, you know, finish what you've started. It's not about how you start, it's about how you end. And the, and the devil will want to do everything he can. He'll use all of the same tactics. He's not very creative, but he's cunning. But he'll use all of those tactics. So where is our energy for the Christian life? Where is our energy with, where, where is our energy coming from for us to be able to live out this through this opposition? I've got two for us. The first one is just simply the re-channeling of our energy. The re ch- The ch- re-channeling, channeling Channel. TV channel, Rechannel your energy. <laughs> you, ah. I'll get home and my tongue will be on the kitchen bench. Well, that's where I left it. Along with my brain. God's people at the time of Ezra, their endurance in building the temple was for relationship. They kept going so that they could close the gap between them and God. Us today, our endurance and our energy is spent in strengthening the bond of our existing relationship that God has purchased for us. We can keep going. We are able to re-channel our energy not into getting to God, but to maintaining the relationship that we have with God that God has given. We can re-channel our energy not into attaining to what we think we want, but in reaffirming what God has freely given, okay? Uh, Kind of a weird illustration, but the Christian life is not like dating, flirting, courting, wooing and seducing God so that He might accept you and love you and can be in relationship with you, okay? Now, there's a lot of effort that goes into dating and courting and seducing and wooing a, a lovely lady. You know, I've got, we all know that I have very, very high standards. Um, And, you know, and I, (laughs) anyway, but our energy doesn't need to go there. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to pour all of your energy out into that. All of it goes into just the, the, rather than the effort of dating, it goes into the, just the, the effort of maintaining and loving and enjoying the relationship. Can you can you see the difference? It's it's even bef- like we, we even before we need to even before we can have to dip into God's power and and character and, and what he gives us through his spirit, straight away we can be like, well, wow. I'm I'm not I don't have to channel my energy that way. I just live in this freedom and this acceptance and any, any any effort that I would have made to try and get close to God, I now can freely do it in the safety and security of knowing that I already am with God. And anything the that I am doing is only making that bond stronger. I don't know if that illustration lands. I hope it does, but there's a very different mindset to buying a set of flowers for a girl when you're not married than when you are. One is, oh, I hope this pays off in the long run. I'm never quite sure. The other is, I love her so much and I really hope she enjoys this and like we're together forever and this act of my adoration is only going to strengthen what we already have. And so when we face opposition in, the, in our life, when the devil seeks to weave his way in, To try and separate us from the love of God? We've already spent all of the energy that we would have been using to try and get to God, reinforcing the bond that we already have that we have with God. I've seen a couple of nods and a couple of smiles, so I'll move on. Second and last, where does our energy come from for the journey with Jesus? The energy comes from our new identity. Our new identity. Do you remember how uh, you can be shaped by your your family story? Those of us that have responded to Jesus, we are in God's family, adopted into God's family, new identity. Had Joash read it for us at the start of our service. I'm going to read it for us again, stretch it out a little bit. Romans 8, Romans 8, that whenever there's opposition in your life because because you're a follower of Jesus, because you're seeking to strengthen your relationship with God, check this out. Remember your new identity as a child in God and let that be the energy in which you live. Reading from Romans eight fourteen. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Father. God, you are my Father. The Spirit Himself, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are children of God. And if children, if we're God's children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What a family. Fellow heirs with Christ. If we suffer with Him in order, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Little nugget there from Paul in the face of opposition, just remember, Christ suffered the ultimate opposition. You haven't suffered yet to the shedding of blood. So just chill out, guys. It's all right. You'll be fine. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Opposition. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'll say that again. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be against you? If you're on God's team, what team is there to try and beat you? Like if you've got God's power, what power is there to overcome you? If God is for us, what can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with him, with him, graciously give us all things? Okay, he's already given you his best. Oh God, I was just I feel really nervous about asking Like I've already given you my son, mate. Like it's okay. Like let's, let's, let's talk this out. <laughs> It's like, this is how much I love you. I've given you my son when you're at your worst. Now you're adopted into my family. Like, what more do you need? I want to. Let's go to the end. I'm willing to give you whatever you need because you are my son too. You're my daughter too. You're in the family. And all, about, and all of those people that want to oppose, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of god who is indeed interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of christ who shall separate us from the love of christ who shall separate you from the love of christ shall tribulation will that separate you hmm. will distress will distress separate you from the love of christ maybe persecution could that separate you from the love of god maybe famine maybe get really hungry will that separate you from the love of christ nakedness or danger when it's real, real bad, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we have been killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death Nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now you remember before Ezra writes to his people, they've got that history. Oh, gee, they had it hard. Oh, the temple. It got done. We're cool. I've learned something. What about us? Yeah, it's going to be hard for God's people. But oh, look, the empty cross. The empty tomb. We're going to be just fine. Living as one of God's people, it can be hard. But it's not without hope. It's not without hope because we can always call upon our God for help. And we know that this God will provide for us because he is our father and he has already provided Jesus. So when life gets hard and you sense the devil's attack, you can endure because God is with you. He sees you as a beloved child of God. He wants to protect you. When you feel that there are allies gathering to oppose you for following Jesus, God will make a way because he loves you. He can give you strength. He can give you endurance. He can give you patience and he can give you peace. As you follow Jesus and people spin stories and tell lies behind your back, God's truth and love will hold you fast. You are secure in his opinion, his love and his care, not others. When the surrounding nations, when they make false accusations about your intentions, God's got your back and he knows your heart. His spirit can counsel you and comfort you. You know, when others, they might sweet talk others so that you feel hopelessly left out and abandoned. We can remember God knows what's true and God is for you. You're able to rest in his love. You're able to rest in the future hope you have with him. You're able to rest with your church family and in the presence of his spirit. And when people dig up dirt on your past life and expose the shame that you once bore, you can remember that you are not defined by your past actions. You are defined by your present position of forgiveness and a fresh start with God, the one true God, your creator, your maker, your father and sustainer. Holy Spirit, He will be there. He will remind you you are forgiven the life you have now it's a life of a fresh start your sin your sin past present and future it has been dealt with by jesus on the cross so church our energy for life with jesus it's been given to us by jesus our identity he gave us that we're trading places with that with us So this week, as you go out and you chat with your friends at work and at school, as you talk with your families, what is it that you can share with them when they ask, how was the weekend? What you get up to? I'd love to encourage you to say something like, you know, I went to church and I was reminded that when there seems to be no limit to the amount of opposition I might have in following God, I was reminded that I can look to Jesus and remember That there's no limit to God's power and love for me to persevere, and that came from Ezra 4. This old ancient manuscript of the history of God's people, but appointed me to Jesus and what He means for me today. Living as God's people can be hard, but hey, Jesus is alive, so we're not without hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Thank you that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love that you have in Christ Jesus for us. Father, we thank you for today and for these words from Ezra 4, for this theme of opposition, for the reminder that it's something that we can expect but it's also, it's something that you give us energy to endure. Be with us this day, we pray. Help us to keep thinking about these things, applying these things and remembering your presence with us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh. I'll have to... Thank you. Thank uh... It's uh, Nick uh, can testify to this. Like, yeah, anyway, we just we've, we we prayed. I prayed a lot this week about a very unprepared sermon. So anyway, thank you. Um, <laughs> we're going to sing now. Great is Thy faithfulness. Because is there a more appropriate way to respond to remembering God's love and care for us? Great is His faithfulness. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill please visit cityonahill.com.au.